0: Welcome back to The Heather McCoy Show. Joining me on the line is Dr. Russell Moore, who is president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He wrote a piece on his website, RussellMoore.com, about why not to support the Starbucks boycott in their recent decision to support gay marriage Starbucks as a corporation, of course. Welcome to the show, Dr. Russell Moore.
1: Good to be with you, Heather. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, I'm glad to have you uh, on the show. Um, Well, first start in your argument, in the article that you wrote on your website, Although the campaign to dump Starbucks from the National Organization of Marriage started a year ago, you wrote that people of faith shouldn't take up the boycott of Starbucks despite Starbucks' decision to support gay marriage as their official position. What were some of your reasons for your contrarian viewpoint on this issue?
1: Well, it's not that I think that a boycott is evil or or that a boycott is always wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, the Montgomery bus boycott uh, in uh, the 1950s and 1960s so started in the 1950s and continuing on, uh, the civil rights movement through the 1960s was a, a just and effective uh, boycott that that, that had uh, good good results. I think, though, usually when uh, conservative Christians such as myself try to lead boycotts of companies, we wind up being ineffective, and we're not uh, we're not really serving to persuade uh, our friends and neighbors. About the issues that we care about, and primarily, what I'm concerned about is that boycotts tend to change us, uh, tend to change the church into seeing uh, seeing the issue as being power versus power. Yeah, Uh, which I I just don't think is is uh, the way that uh, Jesus has given to us to engage our friends and neighbors. That doesn't mean uh, that we have uh, that our convictions are any softer than, than, what they, uh, than what they were. I, I agree uh, with uh, conservative Christians of, of all sorts on the importance of marriage and uh, man-woman-one-flesh-union. There's no distinction there. I just think there are better ways to engage the argument than, than boycotts.
0: And the other thing about boycotts, too, is uh, the economy of scale has moved up quite drastically since the 60s. So it's one thing to boycott a small bus company. It's one thing to boycott a multinational like Starbucks.
1: That, well, that's exactly right, and, and, and what tends to happen is uh, boycotts tend to come along so often. That's not only true on, on in my, within my community, in the conservative evangelical Christian community, but the same thing typically happens uh, in liberal progressive circles, where, where people are kind of exhausted uh, after boycott, after boycott, after boycott, uh, in which it, it's no longer really meaningful anymore. It, it becomes almost like a, a fundraising letter. Uh, that we all get from, from various groups that just gets tossed aside. I, I just don't think it's an effective means.
0: What were right. some of the other reasons why not to boycott, like leading by example, for example?
1: Well, I think that when, when as a Christian, of course, I believe that we've been given a different way of, uh, of modeling uh, what, it, what it means to uh, engage uh, the powers around us, and, and that model is in the life of Jesus Christ, who had a a kind of calm confidence when when you look at the way in the New Testament that Jesus interacts with people who oppose him. He wasn't uh, panicked, uh, and he wasn't shrill. Uh, He instead very calmly engaged those who uh, disagreed with him because he had confidence uh... in in the purposes of his father and in the gospel that he's preaching and so for those of us who believe that that the message of jesus is true and more importantly that jesus himself uh... is is truthful in what he says that that ought to that ought to take a little bit of the frantic edge off of us and and that's something that i see really across the board uh... in american culture right now uh... is that there's this the sense in which the louder we engage one another uh, the more uh, the more convictional or truthful we seem to be and so if you turn on fox news or msnbc you turn on uh, rush limbaugh or uh, progressive uh, radio you're getting the same sorts of things of uh, uh, people screaming at their opponents and they're really not talking to their opponents they're talking to their own audiences in a way that just talks right past one another. I think we can do better than that in talking with one another and, and engaging one another as persons and as human beings. And even when we disagree with one another, we can try to understand one another and love one another. And yeah. I think that's possible.
0: Yeah, is that a reflection more of the media landscape and the 24-hour news cycle than the reality of uh, human interaction lately? Or is it it's the cable stuff kind of you know transporting itself into human interaction?
1: I think it is. I think it is transforming itself, it, it, transporting itself rather into uh, interaction uh, personally, and, and I think that happens less neighbor to neighbor across the fence post or in the same coffee shop than it than it happens, for instance, online. Yeah. Uh, in which there's this cathartic sense of, of railing against one another in Facebook comments or blog comments or Twitter back and forth or what have you. I think, I think that is changing in American culture. And I also think um, the, the book from a couple of years ago, uh, The Big Sort, um, I think it's true that you have neighborhoods and communities that are self-segregating often by ideology. So sometimes people just aren't around people uh, who disagree with them very much at all. So if I don't know anybody who disagrees with me on whatever the big issue is, it's easier for me to demonize those people as they're just totally, totally different uh, from me. And so it, it's, it's it's easy to do that, and it's easy for people across the spectrum, I think, to do that if you don't know anybody and, and have those personal connections.
0: But, I mean, can that be a function of income as well? Like, you know, the liberal arts crowd is probably not making as much money as the conservative crowd, and so they're, I don't know, taking over Oakland and making it hipster, so you get surrounded by that.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think income does have a, a lot to do with it, uh, but I think income I think income works really in, in both directions, and so you have some poor communities that would have a, a, a more uh, progressive bent politically, and then some, some very wealthy communities that would be very very liberal, very hostile to uh, conservative values, and so I, I don't think it's it's one to one with income. Yeah, uh, but I think there are, there are cultures that attach.
0: Yeah getting, yeah, getting back to the uh, marriage thing, uh, you see in your article that people who believe in traditional marriages are, tradi- are a tiny mi- minority. But if you could look at the map on Wikipedia, for example, there are a lot more states with bans in, against same-sex marriage than states that have granted the right to have same-sex people get married. Um, granted, it's trending badly poll numbers-wise for the people that are against same-sex marriage, but a tiny minority—
1: well, what I'm, I'm saying by a minority is to say we shouldn't, uh, as Christians, assume uh, that we have a majority view of marriage, because the, the Christian view of marriage isn't simply uh, one man and one woman. That's necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's an essential part of it, but it's much more than that. It's one man and one woman in a covenant, one flesh relationship for life. Uh, that is a distinctly minority view, at least in practice. In American culture, and so we have to be when we 're talking about marriage we 're talking about something more than just more than just codifying that very minimal uh, understanding it's about creating marriage cultures that uh, stand up to the full picture of the biblical reality and that's that's not uh, a majority in American culture and regardless of whether we're in the majority or whether we 're in the minority, uh, I think we need to be Dialoguing as though we are in the minority all the time, uh, and, yeah. to be, uh, and to be and to be treating treating others in that way.
0: Well, if you take the minority position, also it, there's more activism based on that status. In what way? Oh, in what way? Like oh, I don't know. Like let's say you're Latino in the '60s, and you feel like whitey is picking on you.
1: Oh, right, right, yeah. Right, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. In taking that. Uh, minority physician in your paper, one of the interesting things that you write in the article is that a boycott, to paraphrase what you wrote, assumes the rightness of a majority with power, and it's, it is isn't that precisely what we're arguing against. Um, you're right with that assertion, but isn't that the same argument that the people that are arguing for Prop 8 we're using last week, like we, you know, overwhelmingly bought, got this thing voted for, so the majority vote has to be counted here?
1: Well, I think it's a, it's a different thing to say. I think we all would agree that we're operating according to democratic processes, and I think we all would agree that those democratic processes ought to include uh, minority protections and minority rights. Uh, I think we would differ about how those ought to be applied. Uh, I think that's a different thing than the way sometimes... Uh, conservatives and liberals approach the question of boycotts, uh, which is to say, here we are. Listen to us. Uh, we're, we're wielding this kind of uh, this kind of power in a very direct sense. That's not that's not really an aspect of of our citizenship together in in civil society. It's an aspect of our pocketbooks. Yeah. Uh, I think that I think that changes uh, the nature of the debate.
0: Yeah, if you're just joining us right now, our guest is Dr. Russell Moore, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious uh, Commission. Um, one of the confusing parts in your piece, at least you know to me, because I'm a unbeliever, is the paragraph that starts, uh, "quote Let uh, Mammon fight with Mammon. Let's struggle against principalities and powers with one thing that they fear: the word of faithful witness that doesn't blink before power that, uh, but does." doesn't seek to intimidate it either. If you're trying to start a movement to push against gay marriage, uh, what type of movement would it be with those principles?
1: Well, the, the first thing would be uh, to speak honestly, first and foremost, to ourselves uh, about what uh, marriage ought to be, what human flourishing ought to look like, and to create those communities uh, that model that. And so we're speaking to ourselves to say, let's model for the rest of the world. Uh, the kind of value that we have when it when it attaches to to marriage, and then also to speak to our neighbors uh, in a way that seeks to be winsome and persuasive about uh, the nature of marriage so mm-hmm. when we 're talking about marriage we're we 're saying we 're not saying to uh, for instance, our gay and lesbian uh, neighbors we we hate you okay. we don 't hate our gay and lesbian neighbors, uh, nor are we saying we've got this marriage that we want to keep to ourselves, and we don't want to expand it out where you can have it. Instead, we're saying the, the issue here is it's not that we don't want to expand marriage out. We don't think you can uh, expand it out. We think that definitionally uh, this is an issue of uh, sexual complementarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, that's a very different thing. I think we have to be very uh, very uh, clear about that. It doesn't mean that we're going to agree. Uh, But it does mean that we have to be very clear about the terms under which we're talking.
0: Yeah. In the first line of your article, you refer to the National Organization of Marriage as, quote, a respected pro-family organization. I would argue, theoretically, on the other side of the spectrum, there isn't a group that I would call a respected anti-family organization. Why use this word choice and just call them an anti-gay marriage group?
1: Well, I tend to use the, the language that people would use for themselves. Okay. Um, and so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't refer to a gay rights organization as an anti-family organization. Uh, I would refer to it as a gay rights group. Uh, and some people on my side would say, why would you use language uh, of gay rights, which implies that the other side is, <laughs> is opposed to rights for people? Well, I mean, that's, that's the language that, that people use. And I think uh, the National Organization for Marriage has done a lot of really good work uh, when it comes to highlighting the issue of stability of marriages not not only in this debate but uh but more broadly i mean we we have a tremendous uh crisis within my own community uh when it comes to uh destabilizing of, of marriages through divorce rates and and other things and so i uh, I think that's i think it's 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 fair and just to use the 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 language that people would use for themselves.
0: Yeah. As we've touched on many reasons why you're against gay marriage, as a leader of a religious sect, the Southern Baptists, what are your main reasons for your opposition to gay marriage?
1: Well, I think marriage uh, is definitionally the the one-flesh union of of a man and a woman uh, in fidelity to one another for life. And I think that the reason that the state has an interest in marriage at all is because of the unique... Uh, family and procreative nature of marriage. Mm-hmm. State isn't concerned about my friendships. State, I don't have to register my friendships at the courthouse. I don't have to. There are all sorts of relationships that I have. that are very deep and meaningful to me. That the state has no no business uh, in at all. The state has an interest in marriage, precisely because of that that family structure within marriage, and in seeing to it that children have a, a mother and a father and sexual complementarity. That's the way that I see the nature of marriage, and um, I think mean, that's the, the conversation we have to have.
0: Yeah, and the state also sees it in forms of taxes. I have one uh, gay f- couple that I know, and you know the the state government recognizes them as a married couple because they were married before Prop 8. And the yep. federal government treats them as roommates, yeah so that that's that's another one um also the the other thing that I've always wanted to ask too is marriage has been evolving throughout history. Women were once treated as property in marriage, and they were you know it was basically a business arrangement uh then you know in a way more recent past, it was illegal for two people of different races to get married, so has marriage ever had one fixed definition
1: uh yes, I think you've always had always had aberrations. Uh, from an ideal when it comes to marriage that has has existed really from from the beginning of recorded history. When it comes to interracial marriage, uh, I I don't think that that's a fair uh, one-to-one comparison. The people who were opposing interracial marriage uh, during the era of Jim Crow, uh, their arguments never argued that these uh, weren't marriages. Uh, they were arguing that these were, were marriages that ought not to take place on the basis of race. It was a despicable argument, an awful argument. It was a different argument than the conversation that we're having over the definition of marriage itself oh,
0: and, and how is that different again?
1: because they they're, they're not denying that this is a marriage.
0: Oh, uh, they're okay. simply
1: saying we're going to deny people the right to enter that marriage on the basis of of race.
0: Instead it's a different of, conversation. Instead of a basis of race, it's a basis of gender.
1: Well, in this case, it's a question of, in the same way that that you and I would uh, would limit the definition of marriage in all sorts of ways, uh, okay. and say not every not every relationship is a marriage. We would have to have some basis to say this is a marriage and this is something else. This is some other relationship. That's the question that we're facing here.
0: Okay. Um, what would you say to a secular person that would say, well, that's nice, but your book doesn't pertain to my life, and we do live in a secular democracy, after all, and I want to marry the partner that I love?
1: Well, I think that uh, the issue is we all are coming to this debate with certain forming uh, principles. Uh, in my case, Gospel of Jesus Christ Bible uh, elucidates why I think this issue is important. Uh, but I think also we understand that the state uh... has recognized marriage on a certain basis and with a certain set of criteria for a long time uh... so the question is should we change that should we alter that and how how far can you alter that without totally redefining the institution itself yeah uh, so i think that's a conversation that we can have uh... coming from different perspectives and with different points of authority uh... but recognizing and knowing there, there's there's a question here of what Uh, How malleable is this?
0: On that note, we're going to end this segment, and we'll pick it up on the other side. Our guest this morning is Dr. Russell Moore. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and we'll be right back.